Hello everyone, this is Yalda from Eat, Burn, Sleep, the online low inflammation gut health and sustained weight loss platform. If you follow me on my social media, you probably know that I love learning, discovering new things, meeting passionate individuals. So I have decided to launch this podcast where I interview amazing people. We're going to be talking about physical health, mental health, well-being, with people who are passionate about what they do and who strive for excellence. I hope you learn from it and you enjoy it. Let's get started. Hello everyone, welcome back to another Eat, Burn, Sleep podcast. I'm here with a very beautiful guest today with Aiste. Hi Aiste, how are you? Hi, how are you? I'm well, thanks so much for being my guest today. It's so my pleasure. <laughs> Aiste is an influencer, a former model, and she looks it, I can assure you that, who has a beautiful Instagram account and an amazing website, luxeat.com where she features restaurants that she tries and um, dives deep into the history of cuisine. Her, her focus is gastronomy, beauty, and taste. So I say, tell us a little bit about your story, about how you came to do this. Uh, so I come from Lithuania. I've lived there until was, I was 18. And um, at 18 years old, I moved to Paris. And at those times, there was no really big restaurant culture in Lithuania. So when I moved to Paris, for me, it was a whole new world. Not only because I was uh, working as a fashion model, but also I, because I started going to all these new places and, and anywhere from uh, cafes to fine dining restaurants. And um, I think Paris really changed my life. Food-wise. <laughs> Amazing. It is the right place to start if you do like food. Yes, I would say so. <laughs> How many years did you live in Paris? So I lived in Paris for 15 years and I moved in London six years ago. Amazing. Yeah, Paris is beautiful. I did live in Paris for a few years. It's an amazing city. It is. But I find that the food in London is actually much more dynamic in terms of cuisine. And you tell me what you think, but I feel that... Uh, because there was not such a strong culinary culture in the UK, they were much better at exploring foreign cuisines and other, for example, in Paris for a long time, you didn't have that many good Asian restaurants when in London you had so many. So what was your experience with that? Uh, I absolutely agree with you. Actually, I think London is really uh, a great city for Asian food for Chinese, for Indian. Just the other day, I went to Dastan. It's uh, so far, it's like one hour driving from where I live. Have you heard of it? That's the place I was talking to you just before no. we started the have podcast. You, have yes. you been there? Uh, to Dalston. And I really loved it. It was definitely worth the trip. It was probably the best Indian food I've ever had. I've never been to India, of course. I'm sure there are amazing restaurants in India, but that was an amazing place. So I think London has many surprises like that for Asian food. Amazing. And so when did you start Lux Eat? Uh, so uh, I was working as a fashion model in New York and um, it was 15 years ago. <laughs> and uh, it was just the beginning of uh, uh, blogs. And I thought I, 
I would like to share my food experiences with my friends and family that stayed in Europe. And I started my blog, which first tagline was who said that models don't eat. Because, of course, everybody thinks that all what models eat is salad leaves and <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> so that's how I started. And you continued it after once you stopped? Are you still modeling or did you? No, actually, I don't do modeling anymore. I started writing food writing and uh, organizing culinary events. Since a few years, I've been bringing uh, big Japanese masters to Europe. Well, at least before the lockdown happened. Yes. <laughs> I hope to continue that again. How wonderful. And how did you start taking an interest in Japanese cuisine? How did, did you get in touch with the masters? Can you tell uh, us a little bit yeah, about the process? I've, I've been going there for eating, basically. It's a really whole another world for restaurants and many other things there in Japan. Basically, um, there are so many restaurants where you have to work your way to get into them. For example, you have to be introduced by a regular client and then maybe book for one day in a few months. So it's a really interesting world. Yeah, that's how I met many chefs and uh, I've been eating and the relationship became more personal. And, um, and yeah, that's how I, I started inviting chefs to Europe in years ago. Yes, and I saw recently that you did something in your kitchen as well. Yes. So I've been collaborating with all Nippon Airways, even if they don't fly at the moment much, <laughs> at least people. We have been creating content uh, with uh, the best chefs from London, Japanese chefs. They've been cooking uh, their home recipes. And it's been really a fun, fun thing to do because uh, even if they are cooking in your kitchen, the level of their skills and perfectionism is just incredible. The food was amazing. I, I, I had a chance to eat that food afterwards. There, so I was very lucky. <laughs> how Indeed, how lucky. And what did you... Uh, so do you cook yourself? Yes, I do cook a lot for my son. And how was it when, when you watch um, like such a high level of perfectionism in your own kitchen by a Japanese master? What's a, what are the takeaways? What are the things that you took for your own cooking? So I would say pay huge attention to detail. So first of all, they use the best ingredients. Um, they didn't allow me to, to buy the ingredients myself. They brought everything uh, themselves. And um, then all the techniques. Um, for example, uh, Umu chef Yoshinori Ishii, he has shown me how to make an omelette. And uh, it's basically just eggs and uh, my pan. But it was so thin and perfect. It was all, all about the skills. So I took a lot of tips from these chefs. How amazing. I would yeah. love to learn. So are you streaming these videos on your, on your socials? Yes, I, I have posted some and uh, we, ANA will post on their websites as well. Yes, so. I've seen one. But, you know, when you talk about a perfect omelette, it really <laughs> makes me want to learn that. Yes, so actually it was really incredible. And uh, it's all about the skills. Yeah, for me, the best chefs are those who, who can create something extremely simple Exactly. But to make it extraordinary. I totally agree with you. So I've been doing my newsletter since a few months, which was actually born during the lockdown in London, uh, Luxit Insider. And uh, my next uh, newsletter theme is um, everything about eggs. And uh, I had another chef in my kitchen, Alex Dilling, who is the former chef of the greenhouse, two Michelin star chef. And he just made scrambled eggs. 
and they were amazing. And this time he used the eggs from my fridge, the butter from my fridge. It's all about the skills and the attention to detail, and that I really admire. And the patience. And the patience, exactly. It's a lot of patience. But actually, someone one day asked me, the food, if you had to eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? And I answered eggs. Oh, that's so funny. If there was one food, because it contains protein, it contains fats, and it is the most versatile ingredient. Yes, I agree. So if there was one I had to... Because, you know, it takes about... I think it takes about 40 minutes to process a poached egg. It takes about an hour, between one and two hours to process scrambled eggs. And hard-boiled eggs, it's four hours for the body to break it down. So just the, it tells you so much how cooking can really influence the, the structure of the molecules in an egg. And it's the most versatile That's food. amazing. So would you say that pouched egg is healthier than boiled egg? or Not necessarily. It just won't keep you full for as long. Yeah. And you probably notice that. If you eat a hard-boiled egg, you're, you feel quite full for a while. Yeah. If you eat a poached egg, you can have two, three of them quite quickly. Yeah, I right? agree with you, actually. Yeah. Very good observation. Mm, it's, <laughs> uh, it depends on how well you do it. I had once, I was invited in a house where there was an amazing chef. And he made roast chicken with ratatouille. Mm. It was one of the best roast chicken and best ratatouille I've ever had. I'm someone who loves simple foods, simply because from a health standpoint, it's yeah. much harder to digest more ingredients because you need a, more, a greater variety of enzymes to break them down. So when your meal has a little bit less ingredients, it's easier to digest. Obviously, you need, you need a variety of ingredients, but... When you go to a Michelin star restaurant, generally in a tiny little starter, mm. you can have 30 ingredients. They have a yeah. way of packing them. And my favorite, favorite chefs, and that's where I see the skill, is when they can do something really simple, but exactly. extremely well. So what do you think is the secret of a perfect dish for you? It's very simple. It's those 10,000 hours. You know, when you spend... <laughs> Perfectioning is one perf- thing. <laughs> it, it's doing the same thing over and over and over again. And every time you make it, there is that incremental improvement, which is tiny. Mm. But over the years, it improves. And I can see some of my recipes. I tweak them a little bit, a little bit mm. over the years. And I can see it, it just turns out so well. For example, I have this banana bread recipe, which everyone raves about. Mm. And I released the recipe two years ago. But the first time I made it was in 2009. Wow. And it's a simple recipe. There are not that many ingredients. But it's just that over the years, I put a little bit more of this, a little bit less of that. It's playing with it. And as you say, it's also how it's the skill in the hands and the patience. Yeah. And this, you are right, it's the 10,000 hours of yes. perfectioning that, that recipe. And I think that's what I observed uh, with these chefs who have been recently in my kitchen because they've been just doing it that for so many times. And uh, they just know exactly how it will turn out. And you, you start to feel it yeah. when you cook. I mean, now when I bake... Baking is the one thing where you have to measure and it's precision. And I'm not someone who naturally likes to measure everything, but I love baking. And now I actually taste the dough because I've been baking for so long in the way that I bake, which is 
grain-free and dairy-free, mm-hmm. I just put my pinky in the dough, <laughs> I taste it, and I know how it's going to come out. Yeah. I couldn't have done this f- five years ago. Yeah. It's because of all these years of doing it again and again and again. Absolutely. I don't think there are any other ways of learning cooking than cooking, cooking, cooking every day and repeating. for hours repeating. But, you know, I think it's actually, it's for most things. You know, I have a friend of mine who's an extraordinary interior designer. He's in his 80s and, and he's been doing this since his 20s. Yeah. So he just looks at a place and... He has so many years of experience. Yeah. He can just come up with a solution immediately and will know down to how a book is placed, if it's at the right angle or not. And I think it's the power of, uh, of perfecting a skill. By talking about perfectionism, it reminds me of the shokunin concept in Japan, which is um, an artisan, which basically means an artisan, but probably much more. It's um, perfectioning your craft over and over again or whatever you do. So whether you are a knife maker or a chef or ceramic artist, you are never good enough. So you want how to explain how to say Yeah, it's a learning process. Yeah, it's a learning process. Exactly. All the time. Yeah. You know, in Morocco, we have uh, these Moroccan mosaics. Mm. You know, we call them the liege. My mom comes from Fez in Morocco and the Medina of Fez is absolutely stunning it's uh, yeah. it's part of the um patrimoine de l'unesco i don't know how to say it in english but mm-hmm. it's you know protected sites and those mosaics apparently even computers can't reproduce they have a way of cutting the stones and putting them all together that's extremely complex yeah and they do it their whole life and then they teach the son as a father down mm-hmm. you know son job it's a generational job and the reason why they're so good at it is because imagine growing up seeing your dad doing that, knowing exactly how to cut the stone, where it's going to go, how to place the color for the overall picture to be amazing. And it becomes second nature because you do it over and over and over again. Yeah. Your job becomes your second nature. Completely. And I've realized that actually truly in my life when I healed myself and I started looking into health. So my previous career was finance. And although I loved it and I enjoyed it and that's what I studied and everything, it wasn't my passion the way health is. You know, I think about health and how the body absorbs certain foods and the interactions and the bioavailability of nutrients and the the impact of stress and on cells. and, And I'm always brainstorming about this in my head all the time, every day, since 2007. And sometimes I meet people, they say, oh my God, where can I learn all the things you know where? And there's no answer. It's yours exactly. of reading, of working, of trying to, to come up with a solution, of remembering things that are important, going back over them, connecting dots. And it's practice makes perfect. You have to practice and you never stop learning, as you say. Yeah. Being an artisan, it's like your craft. It's an endless process. Totally agree. <laughs> it's the beauty of it. It's the beauty of it. Yeah. But I'm, I have to say, I'm so envious of your experience with the shame from Umu making an omelette next time. Yeah. Yeah, you to invite me. I you couldn't believe my luck, actually. <laughs> oh my God, that's extraordinary. Those are special moments. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'll remember all my life. 
I'm very honored actually that these chefs have accepted my invitation because the chef from Umo, his former career was um, chef at Kicho, which is the most one of the most respected restaurants in Kyoto, uh, Keiseki restaurant. And the fact that a, restu- a chef from Kicho came to my kitchen, it's just unbelievable. That's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, that says a lot about your work and <laughs> the respect you. they have for it. Thank you so much. I'm just doing my best. That's amazing. You said to me that before the pandemic, you were organizing events. What kind of events were they? Uh, So uh, until February, actually, when my most recent event happened in Paris, I've been bringing um, Japanese chefs to Europe. And uh, we brought together with all Nippon this time a big sushi master, a big tempura master, and uh, a wagyu master. And they all cooked together with a Michelin-starred Japanese chef in Paris. And it was a three-day event and very successful. We had people flying from around Europe to to eat the food. How wonderful. Yeah. And the experience, so, so they met all the chefs. Yeah, absolutely. They were cooking all together. And what is interesting about my events I've been organizing was the chefs is that usually they don't in Japan they don't work together there is no such thing as we know Japanese restaurant where well of course there are izakayas where you can try various food but foods but um, usually in Japan a master runs his restaurant and it's one kind of food yes so it yes. might be tempura so he will be making only tempura every day he doesn't yeah. have sushi or, or beef if you are sushi master, you are making only sushi. And all these chefs who are big masters, they were cooking together, which is a big honor to me and great experience too, because they are really demanding. They would uh, simply refuse to work with uh, ingredients that they don't think are good enough for them. They will rather do something completely different. Wow. And how wonderful for all the people who attended to have all these masters in one place. Yeah, absolutely. And um, thank you. For me, it's, uh, what I've been doing is also about spreading my passion for Japanese culture, because at the end, it's all about food is a very important part of, of the culture. And um, at the end, is sharing the culture, basically, and the way of thinking. You can do that through eating. Yes. I went to Japan a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and I was lucky enough that uh, Sakura was in bloom. I was meant to arrive at, after the cherry blossoms and I arrived, they were still on. And I was with a friend of mine who lives in Japan, speaks fluent Japanese, has been living there for years and showed me around and we went to all these restaurants. It was extraordinary. And as I was saying to you before we started the podcast, even the lunch boxes at the train station were better than most Japanese restaurants I've ever been to in Europe. I totally agree with you. So one of the best bites I've ever had was in a Shinkansen from Kyoto to Tokyo. I bought uh, this um, pork sandwich in the station and uh, I regretted that I didn't buy two because, <laughs> <laughs> it, was <so laughs> because good. it was so good. Their attention to detail yeah. is absolutely amazing. And when I went there, actually, I had been to Morocco on holidays with my kids. Then I came to London for a day. And then I went straight to Japan. And I have to say, the cultural shock. I can <laughs> I went, imagine. <laughs> I went from Morocco, where you have donkeys crossing the road and everyone shouting and, and everything's a mess, but everything's so 
you know, there's a lot of sensuality and a lot of spice and a lot, of, a lot of charm and everything. And you arrive in Japan where at the airport, you can't tell that there is anyone else than you because everyone's in line and, and saying no is rude. And they're washing met metro stations with shampoo, I think. Yes, <laughs> it was. And I thought to myself, the shock of cultures, but what made Morocco extraordinary, which is the whole individuality thing, is what I thought was missing in Japan. And the attention to detail and perfectionism where um, in Morocco, the artisans and all of that have attention to detail, yeah. but I can assure you, people who drive in the streets don't. <laughs> oh, yeah. I must say that uh, the crafts in Morocco are amazing. Uh, I remember I've stayed at um, Real Mansour Hotel yes. a few times, and oh, yes. it's just unbelievably beautiful. And yes. you think you are staying at a palace. Yes, yes. Royal Mansour, for people who are listening, is a is a palace in Marrakesh, which had been commissioned actually by the king. And he got all the best artisans in the country for basically the masters of yeah. one person would be, you know, the person doing the lights, the other one, the, the zilige, which is the mosaics. And, and the whole place, if you go to Marrakesh, even if you do not stay there, definitely go there to have a look or have or go for a drink or for a cup of tea. It is every square meter you will look at will be full of perfection. It's, it's magical. A, it's really a magical, magical place. Have you tried the Moroccan restaurant there? Yes, I have. Very good. <laughs> it's one of the best lambs I've ever had. They have the, the shoulder of lamb, which we steam in Morocco. Mm. And it was the quality of the meat, the way it was done was... I'm getting hungry now. <laughs> incredible, incredible. I, I had this dessert there, which was orange with um, canal. Yeah, cinnamon. Cinnamon, yeah. Yes. So good. I do that a lot. Oh, you do that? It's, actually, it's very typical Moroccan. Yes, yeah. it's very simple. You slice oranges, you, you put a bit of cinnamon. It brings sweetness out of it. Cinnamon regulates blood sugar yeah. levels. Oranges, you get vitamins, antioxidants, very good for you. <laughs> and most of all, the, the smells of Fleur d'Oranger when you walk around, it's just amazing. Yes, orange blossom, yes, yeah. it smells amazing. I used to do it with my grandmother. Mm. She would distill her... Really? Yes. So every year, so a lot of people in Morocco, in their garden, they have big orange trees. Yeah. And uh, I remember as a child, we had three of them and each one would yield around 50 kilo of oranges. They were huge. So during the winter, we ate so many oranges. <laughs> and when is the season of uh, orange blossoming? So just before, so during the winter is when the oranges are, um, are ripe. I think orange blossom was, I think around April, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. But I remember my grandmother would uh, distill them. I was quite young. And so every year she would give us, we would call her Umi, would give us, you know, uh, mazhar, which is orange blossom water. And we use it for beauty. Like with cotton, it's very good for dry skin. If you have oily skin, you use rose water, just with a bit of cotton. And we also wash our hands with it or we'll put it in, We do this uh, salad, grated carrots, with a little bit of orange juice and a little bit of orange blossom water. And it works so well. It's so refreshing. We use it in many different ways. Can you use it for baking as well? Absolutely. I use it in my baking yeah. recipes. And oftentimes I'll mix it with, like in an orange style baking, mm. I would put a bit of orange blossom as well. Mm. It's very nice. I need to get the best, uh, <laughs> the, the tip of which one is the best. Yes, 
you know, I actually need to do my research because I get some now from my aunts, and but I don't know where to buy. So yeah. for a long time, I would get, you know, olive oil from my Aunt Bahia's family. So in our in families in Morocco, oftentimes you'll have a branch of the family who'll be making olive oil, the other one yeah. will be making that. And, uh, and my dad's a pharmacist, so I'll get the argan oil from him, uh, like pharmacy-grade pure argan oil. But I, um, I've been thinking, actually, about maybe releasing a range of those you products. Should, yes, Mila, because I, I love the orange blossom water. I love also argan oil, too. Argan oil is, is so yeah. good. Yeah. It's amazing for your skin. It's also so good to eat. <laughs> yes. It's actually hydrating, no? Extremely. It's a powerful anti-wrinkle. Yeah. Very anti-inflammatory. Um, and I use it. And actually, it's been on my mind to maybe do something around this because uh, and now we're not talking about food anymore. No, we're no, talking about beauty. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, a lot of people ask me about my um, my beauty routines and what I do. And I do a mix. I do a mix of, you know, things that I try here and I buy in shops and I have a lot of traditional, uh, a lot of traditional um, products and traditional things we do in Morocco. And interestingly, when I went to Japan, I went to a public bathhouse and we have them in Morocco, Hammam. I love Hammam. And they have Mm -hmm. the equivalent, um, I forgot how they call it. I was there. They have different rooms with different temperatures and women sitting. And then they have a room for scrubbing where you lie down. Lay there, you lie down like on the massage bed and there is a lady who's wearing gloves on her hands, scrub gloves, and they're exactly the same as the one we use in Morocco. And the Japanese scrub their skin exactly the way we do. I was completely amazed. So I bought some of their gloves when I was in Japan. Um, so yes, I do, I do that a lot as well, but I'm completely digressing from (laughs) the topic of the day. I hope the listeners are still enjoying this. Um, so I said, my next question was, um, now that you cannot do events, what is going to be the next, uh, way for you to connect with people who, you know, are your, your audience, love food, love experience and cannot come to events anymore? So uh, I've been, um, so as I've mentioned before, I launched my newsletter a few months ago and I'm continuing doing that. And also I really want to spread the Japanese culture and um, Japanese recipes and Japanese cooking tips because I think there are nowadays more and more people cook at home because they don't have choice. And, um, and actually myself too, because um, I just don't find uh, the Japanese food I, I, sometimes I just don't find the, you know, the, the restaurants I like here in London. So, so I've been learning to cook Japanese food as well. So that's what, that is my, my next project is, um, is, uh, sharing more Japanese recipes on my Instagram. That's wonderful. I'll be the first one to learn (laughs) because it's true. We tend to go out for Japanese food and we don't, tend to cook at home that exactly much. so i would never try to do sushi at home because i just have too much respect for the masters uh, who learn the craft for years some chefs practice their rice making for years before they they are allowed to to touch the fish 
So it's um, it's so much more than just some raw fish on on Top rice. Of rice yes. Yeah. So I would never make sushi at home, but um, there are many other uh, recipes that you can make at home. Like, for example, shirashi that we cooked together was yoshinari ishi, which is uh, various toppings over sushi rice mm-hmm. or seabream over rice that mm-hmm. we made together with kazutoshi endo from umu. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we made together with kazutoshi endo from endo, you know, yes. sushi master. yes. I haven't been to Endo yet. I think he hasn't reopened yet. But I think he's also working on a new restaurant, which is on Westbound Grove, okay. which will be a bit uh, more casual. So I'm looking forward for that. So Endo is in um, the same building as a Soho City House in London. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Lots of things to look forward to. I think this uh, idea of teaching people to cook Japanese fo- food at home is amazing. That will also expand the understanding for the Japanese culture. So when you go to restaurants, you know actually what it is you're ordering. And Exactly. And I think there is, um, you know, in this society where people are having relationship issues with food mm-hmm. simply because we've lost respect for food, the way we produce it, yeah. the way we consume it, the way when you lose respect for something, it complicates the relationship. And, uh, and what I try and promote with, uh, with my work is to bring the love back. And Japanese people are the best example of extreme respect for food. And it's one of the healthiest populations yes. on the planet. And they love food. And the French are similarly, they, they, they think about the next meal all the time That's totally right. (laughs) Because they respect food, they sit down, they celebrate it, they set the table, they actually chew properly Mm. because they enjoy it, they release all the right enzymes to digest it, and they're healthier for it. I totally agree. I would say it's all Mediterranean nations, no? Exactly. Italians the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so so much. I really loved having you on my podcast. (laughs) Thank you so much. For our listeners, they can find you on luxeat.com yeah. or at luxeat on Instagram. And you can go and have a look. Aistais has an attention to detail, which is extraordinary. She clearly has an artist's eye. I was Thank scrolling you. <laughs> on your website and thinking, wow, you're, very, you're, you're a very creative person. It really comes through all your, all your socials and your website. So even if you don't get a chance to go to the restaurants that she talks about, because obviously we're in a situation where we're quite limited now, I'm sure you'll enjoy just having a look at all the things she shares. Thanks so much. It was a great pleasure to to talk to you. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you to all of you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to go on eatburnsleep.com to learn more about gut health and chronic inflammation. I would really appreciate if you could rate this podcast and of course feel free to share it with anyone who might enjoy it. Have a beautiful day.